Hey there, it's Nick. This episode was originally broadcast in 2015. I'll be back with episodes from season eight and nine next week. Thanks. The club is called City Club. My friends and I would go like every Saturday night. It's in a Ramada Inn building. I wanna say it's in the basement. The walls are black, but there's like white paint everywhere and there's black lights everywhere. And as soon as you walk in, you're like, man, there's lint everywhere on my clothes because black light does that. There's a jukebox, there's a Doctor Who pinball machine, some ratty couches. Their most popular beverage was the Purple Jesus drink, which was served in test tubes. Never went to the bathrooms. I hear they were intimidating. And what were the, what was the songs and music? That... Mostly goth, industrial, goth, industrial, some metal, mostly goth, industrial. Okay. Anytime a Joy Division song was played, I was out on the floor, Baja's, Every Day is Halloween by Ministry, Jesus Built My Hot Rod by Ministry. I was dancing to a song called Jesus Built My Hot Rod in the middle of the dance floor and I saw him a little bit away from me. I couldn't stop looking at him dancing because he just loved the music so much. He was lost in it and although his moves perhaps weren't as cool as some of the others, it just looked like he was having a really, really good time. It was like one of those things where it's just like, you know, I kind of saw her approaching through the crowd and it's just like, you know, you kind of see these blurs of other people, but I saw her distinctly. Do you remember what she was wearing? She had this, like, kind of top split down the middle, stockings. At the time, she had all purple hair. PVC bustier, arm-length gloves, six-inch stilettos, also PVC, and a Hello Kitty headband. Okay. So it's like, goodness gracious. I was basically immobile for, like, two minutes because I was so taken with her beauty. The first thing that he said to me was, have you got a cigarette? which was really weird because I wasn't expecting him to be a smoker. So I was like, are you sure? I mean, he was kind of like coughing and spluttering and I was like, are you okay? And he was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, he was like, can I have your number? I thought, um, yeah, I really want to give him my number, but I'm not going to immediately do that because it would just be really obvious that I like him. So I was like, I don't know my number. And he was like, yeah, you do. I did lean in and I was just gazing into her eyes and then I kissed her and it was, it was, it was what I expected yet not what I expected. It was the next day and I had a feeling he was going to call and I really liked that, that he didn't sort of wait for three days and all that. It was great to meet someone who was just themselves and was a nice guy, which he genuinely is a nice guy. I think some girls keep going for the wrong guys but I had only gone for the wrong guys because there were only bad guys around. As soon as I saw him, I was like, OK, I'm not going to let you go. Between like meeting at City Club and like her moving in, there really wasn't a lot of time. I remember distinctly the day that she arrived. It was July and it was a hot day. I managed to get her in my arms, managed to get her up the steps. And I was just like, what? Why? You're so heavy. There wasn't a clear moment where he was like hey, do you want to move in? And I was like, yeah, pick me up and carry me over the threshold. It was more like all of my clothes were at Dave Katz. And I was like, hang on, I actually kind of live at his house now anyway. Was that an adjustment in the relationship, like actually living together? It wasn't so much an adjustment, really, because I think we had gotten so comfortable with each other. You know, nothing really had changed at that point. We're so compatible for each other, I guess. 
Yeah, we'd spend a lot of time playing video games or watching DVDs or whatever. Lots of photo shoots. There's this great photo that I've got where she's wearing my Joy Division shirt and she's got like a long black skirt and a little pair of cat ears and she's smoking. Sometimes people will either ask me or Shi-Chan, what was one of the most memorable moments that you have ever had where you knew you two were in love? The answer that we have is always the same. It was a time, it was in autumn. Yeah, it was a week before Halloween. It was raining, not raining heavily, but just kind of lightly outside. And it was one of those nights where you're really glad to be inside and warm and snuggly. And he put on this film called Playtime. Votre film. It's a film by Jacques Tati, who's a French comedian. It was more or less his statement about the wistfulness of what was then old France, post-war France, being slowly taken over by modern France. I hadn't seen it before, but I found exactly the same bits funny that he did, and we were just really close. We were just wrapped up in each other's arms, just watching this film and just being there in the moment. I, I just had this feeling suddenly that everything was going to be okay. And I looked at him and I was like, it's not just everything's going to be okay, everything's okay now. That was literally one of the most content moments probably of my life. It was like I was looking in a mirror but seeing what I wanted to see. Normally when you look in the mirror as a human being, you just see everything. Sometimes you see the flaws more than anything good. But when I looked at him, it was like I was looking in a mirror and seeing only the good bits of myself. It was pretty early on in a relationship. But when you have a moment that soon in your relationship, you know that that person is the one that is entirely genuine. Hi, my name is Jore, and my friends sometimes call me Shichan. I was born in Tokyo, and I was raised in Salford, which is near Manchester. My name is Elena Vostokova. My friends call me Lenka. I live most of my life in Vladivostok in Russia. It was a... Uh, Hard town for me to live because um, I was bisexual in this town and my mother doesn't know this. The first time I had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, it was a boy, and I sat with him by the park and a friend of my mother saw us and she reported back to my mother. I've seen Lankar sitting on the bench with this guy. And, you know, they were laughing at me for having this boyfriend when I was young. I was 16 by this time. I wasn't that young. But they thought this was hilarious and it was stifling for me to be laughed at for having a boyfriend. It's just pathetic. So what the hell would happen if I had a girlfriend? Can you imagine? Mm -hmm. So this was hard. I mean, life was nice there, but not, not for the hiding this big side of me from my mother. I needed to get far away to have a life I want. I've always wanted to go to America. I used to go on the internet and look up the uh, style, fashion, music. I came across this documentary, these alternative couples. This couple, I just love them so much. i never seen anything like this in the world. They were beautiful people, they were interesting, they had interesting ideas and they were funny and they were laughing together and I loved them and I saw them on this video and I thought I want to be with them I want to be with this guy this girl and I like I think I fancy them both okay so I emailed them I said I want to live with you so what was going through your mind when you got this email well I was like I kind of read it and I didn't really read it because I was like this is a really crazy <laughs> 
I haven't ever met anyone who would be this open before they knew anyone because I'm not really like that. And, and I was also really bowled over by how brave it was just to buy a ticket and because it's not cheap, is it? No, I saved, saved off a long time for the ticket. But I think I know now that I know you when we've talked about this. Sidori liked that I was nothing to hide. Well, but when you first met us, we can't have been how you imagined. And I met you, I was not disappointed. I was more pleased. It was just right. When she uh, came... You looked at yeah. my photo, didn't you? you had, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the next thing I did was you I was like... I look like when I arrived. Yeah, it was important yeah. to me because I was like, OK, we're going to be we're gonna be the three of us together. I kind of need to know. Did you tell Dave Cat or what, what happened next? I didn't tell Dave Cat about the email, I think partly because... Well, like, a little bit of me wanted to keep it a secret anyway. Because we share absolutely everything and sometimes it's quite nice to have something that only you know. And I thought, well, if nothing ever happens, it will just be like this tiny thing that I know. And if something does happen, then obviously he's going to find out anyway. <laughs> and he did find out. <laughs> so can you describe what, what it was like when, when you first showed up? Like what? Were um, you nervous? I was really excited. The house was very nice, a little house and... I'd got myself looking as nice as I could in my little, like a corner of a mirror I had broken in half. And I'll check myself then. And I got to the door and I could smell the cakes. And I thought, now I am home. What was it like opening the door? I was really nervous. And in a way, I was more nervous than when I first met Dave Cat because when I first met Dave Cat, it was really straightforward. <laughs> this kind of felt a bit more of a big deal. I felt like... If it went wrong, it could go wrong in so many ways because it could go wrong if we didn't like her. It could go wrong if she didn't like us. Or maybe none of us would like each other and we'd all laugh about it. I felt that as soon as I saw you, you were like someone who I'd be at school with who I'd really want to impress. Even though um, you're younger than me, I felt like if we were at school, you'd be like the year above me and I'd kind of follow you around copying your hair and everything like that. Although now that I do your hair, I know it's actually quite hard to manage at times, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> how did Dave Cat react? When did he actually find out? It wasn't that night. It was the next day. And how did you phrase it? Like, what did you say? I'm here. <laughs> yeah, no. Hi. <laughs> That's it. So we, um, she did say that. I'm here. We went I was into sitting in his bed. Yeah. I she sat was... in his bed ready and you got me all yeah. dressed up yeah. <laughs> with my makeup on. Hi. Yeah. Um, he we he came into the kitchen. He was like, because he got he had to go to work. He always gets up, gets the paper, I give him breakfast, and he was like, okay, I'm gonna go to work in half an hour. Gonna have a breakfast, and then I was like, why don't you have your breakfast in bed? And he was like, he doesn't really like doing that because of the crumbs. He's always like, Ugh, crumbs will get in the bed. And he was like, no, why? And I was like, just come in. <laughs> she was sitting in the bed, and we'd done her hair and makeup, but also we'd put this hat on her that my uncle had given me, which was like a pirate's hat. I don't know why we did that. But anyway, she had that on, and uh, we came in, and she said, I'm here. Hi, Dave Cat. <laughs> I'm not he, going. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And then I firstly said, I'm sorry that we lied to you, but... Yeah, that's right. I said to Dave Cat how much I was so impressed with him and how much I love... Sidore and he could see that I fancied you he was immediately on board yeah he could definitely see that we were all going to have a good time <laughs> um, and I think that probably helped <laughs> does the issue of jealousy come up um, uh, <laughs> you mean Sidore jealous of me or anyone jealous of anyone I mean it's sort of 
Mm. We have had to work out some things along the way. Um, I think the only time we had to all kind of be honest with each other was perhaps when, I remember when it was our wedding anniversary and that brought a bit of stuff up to the surface and I think we all dealt with it pretty well. What happened? Um, it was well. it was hard for me because it was a wedding anniversary and I don't have one. It's a very special thing for two people and there's something that Dave, Kat and Sidori have together and I don't have a wedding anniversary and I think I was too emotional for this and it wasn't fair for Sidore and I'm sorry, I was mean, but I was I was jealous about that a little. And what happened um, was that the wedding anniversary fell on a night that it should have been Lenkeren, yeah, and Dave cut together and I, I, I had to say, oh... I tried to say it really casually, I think, but I didn't realise how hurt you were at the time. And actually... If I'd known how upset you were, I probably would have said, just don't worry, you can go in no, the bed that night. No, it's not fair. You were very kind to me. And, and I, I understand it's your wedding anniversary. You, you didn't get married to spite me. You were married before me. So it's wrong for me to feel jealous, but I'm human. And, I, you know, there's one part I will never have with Dave Cat and Sidori. I'll not be their wife. It's okay. It's just to get used to this. I think it's harder when things feel unsettled, but once people are all honest... Yeah. Life isn't perfect, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm 100% happy all the time just because I'm married. At times I can feel a little bit jealous of you guys, you know. Mm. Maybe he feels jealous of us some of the time. He's not a woman and... Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you're okay, it's fine. You were describing it as hierarchical polyamory? Yeah, that's... I had run across that term. Shichan had actually seen it on her Tumblr dashboard. Uh, hierarchical polyamory is... It's basically when you have a relationship that incorporates more than two people. I guess in our context. It was like Elena and Dave Cat and Shidore are all in love with each other. Elena understands that Shidore and Dave Cat are married, but they still all are able to enjoy each other's company. That's where the hierarchy comes in. Elena will always be my second. That was the whole reason of why Elena agreed to stay with us. She understood that, yeah, there is a marriage involved, but the thing is, you know, she still wanted a friendship. She still wanted a relationship with someone who's male and someone who's female. She basically decided, that, oh, well, I guess I can be your mistress. If Shichan and I want to do something with someone that isn't each other, we could do it with Elena. And are you exclusive among the three of you, or does Lanka go outside the really <laughs> um, the threesome, or like how does that work? Shichan is famous for flirting, but again, it's flirtation. It's not necessarily like pursuit. Lanka, for the most part, is just devoted to the two of us. So this is, if this is a two personal question, you don't have to answer it. But, um, but do you have threesomes together, or how like how does that work? No, no, we don't. We never have threesome together ever. Because um, the bed's too small. I'm just not clear on the logistics of it. Like, who sleeps with who? Like, when? Like, well, how does that all work? Each of us sleeps with Dave Cat. Alternately, we yeah. not sleep together at the same time. And me and uh, Sidore grab time together whenever we can. Mm -hmm. When Dave Cat is at work. Mm -hmm. When Dave Cat is in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> he knows. He's cool with it. He's not, he's, he doesn't mind us. And... Usually, I sleep with Dave Cat because um, my joints sound as stiff as Sidore. Mm. 
See, that's the thing. It's, that's, it kind of works to our advantage, though, because I say she's the mistress because Elena is more built for sex, mm-hmm. whereas Shidore, with her stiffer joints, although they have loosened over the past five years, she's more built for love. She has very, as you can see, loose joints. I mean, where you, you know, you, you lift her hand and it doesn't stay. I mean, you can barely like turn her hand. Mm-hmm. Her hand will. Yeah, sure. Her fingers are actually kind of broken at this point because the wires that they use in the fingers are not as strong as they could be. Mm-hmm. But because uh, they've all broken at like the base plate in her hand, right, which is right here. If you put her hand right here, but. Uh, I've always been intrigued by artifice. I remember distinctly being in second or third grade. My teacher, Miss Mahaffey, was standing at the blackboard writing whatever words in French. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, if she was a robot, what mechanisms would make her move her arm or her hand or her mouth or head, walk from the desk to the blackboard or whatever? I remember I was fascinated with that. It wasn't like a sexual attraction or anything. It was just like a fascination. There's an episode of a show called Ripley's Believe It or Not. You know, they detail all sorts of wacky stuff about, you know, Howard Hughes, the pyramids, the Winchester Mystery House, that sort of thing. They had one segment where they were talking about a humanoid robot that was made in Japan. This uh, roboticist named Shuichi Mizuno had made a gynoid version, well, more like an automata, of Marilyn Monroe. She's wearing a blue dress and holding a guitar. Her head's moving and her lips are moving and she's singing a song. I remember distinctly thinking that was like the most amazing thing I'd seen in my life. People always get fixated on the fact that I'm in love with dolls, which I am, but my ideal partner would be a gynoid. Now, a gynoid is technically what you would call a female robot. An android is a robot that's made to look like a humanoid male. A gynoid would be a robot that's made to look like a humanoid female. I've always thought that artifice is a great way to have things that you can't necessarily have because of like whatever situation. Either you're allergic to them or they cost too much or they're messy or whatever. I remember one of the things that kind of drove me from living with my parents is that my father would often make me mow the lawn because that's what fathers do with their sons. I'd be out there and like, you know, sweating, which is also disgusting, mowing the lawn, sneezing for the rest of the day being bloody miserable about it. At some point, I was just like, Dad, I don't want to mow the lawn. I'm allergic to cut grass. He's just like, well, I don't care. Mow the lawn. All right, fine. Later. Hachoo, hachoo, hachoo. It's ridiculous. I have said, if I ever got another house, I would rip up all the lawns and replace it with AstroTurf, which I, I'm sure a lot of people would not be keen on in my neighborhood, but, you know, whatever. Having things in one's life that simulate Things that are naturally found in nature, organic things, but don't have the the possibility of like making you ill or putting you in danger. I'm like, well, why don't we have more of those sorts of things? Why don't we have more artificial things? The first time I learned about Abyss Creations would have been 1998. My best friend Montali, who had known that I'd been fascinated by gynoids, she was at work one day and stumbled across the Abyss Creations website. She had said, Dave Cat, you know, I've seen something online that you really need to come and check out because I think this is perfectly up your alley. It was love at first sight. Back then, you could only order a head with a doll and it would be like a solid head that you couldn't remove. 
The combination that I'd seen that really struck my fancy was Phase 4 Body 2, what they called the Leia. Alas, with pale skin, brown eyes, red hair, black stockings, black stilettos, and opera-length gloves. In some of the photos, she was tied up. And I just... <laughs> so many wheels were set in motion that day. I was just like, these are utterly fantastic. Oh my God, she's gorgeous. They're so realistic, you know. They're, wait a minute, they're $5,000. I had a job that was making a whole $10 an hour. Over the course of like a year and a half, I basically saved up $5,999 to get Shidorai Kuroneko into my life and um, best money I ever spent. I remember distinctly the day that she arrived. It was July and it was a hot day. Shichan's crate was like the last thing in that truck, so he probably de delivered everything else. It's like, that's a heavy one, that's going last. Got it up the walkway, and I was just like, oh, this is fantastic. So I'm like, dragging this huge crate across the living room floor and like kind of situating it so that the door could open. Undid each screw, undid the padlock, pulled the door open. There's like a sheet of semi-translucent plastic, cut the plastic away, and I didn't even pull it away all the way because, I mean, I saw her face staring at me. She was wearing a black bra and knicker set and this mesh teddy and black stockings and holding a purple rose. Artificial, of course. I was basically immobile for like two minutes because I was so taken with her beauty. I did lean in and I was just gazing into her eyes and then I kissed her. And it was, it was, yeah, she's rubbery, but I mean, that's to be expected. She's silicone, but it, it, it does feel like they feel like organic lips. Pulled the rest of the plastic away, reached in to pull her out. And I was just like, what? Why? You're so heavy. Why aren't you moving? Because <laughs> you're dealing with someone who is 90 pounds and is dead weight. I managed to get her in my arms managed to get her up the steps, put her in the futon in my room. And I was like, sweetie. I'm so glad you're finally here. This is awesome. I got to go to work. You know? <laughs> Thing is with like organic relationships, a lot of them start out where it's just like, you've got two people in love, two organics in love. And then there's going to be one person. I, actually, this happens with both of them that has a perception of the person that they're attracted to. They're attracted to that perception and not necessarily the person that they actually are. So there's this image that they've built up in their mind. It's like, oh, yeah, Jennifer's really fantastic, and uh, she's amazing, and this and that and the other thing. And then somewhere along the line, as time progresses, wait, Jennifer, wait, no, she, she said she's voting for Trump? Wait, whoa, 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 she didn't say anything about that. You know, that sort of thing. Your idea of that person is suddenly going to be thrown to the wayside of running into what the person actually is. You don't get that with a synthetic. Everything's up front. There's no deceit. There's no nasty surprises. Whatever you make as far as like their personalities, or if you don't make a personality at all, I mean, that's what you get. How does the sex compare? Well, I think it's awesome. <laughs> there have been no complaints. <laughs> the sex is different, as you would expect. For one, obviously dolls can't really lubricate themselves, so you kind of have to be generous with the KY, which is fine. And other dolls can't move themselves, 
So you are shifting a bit of dead weight around. I mean, I've seen more inventive idolaters than myself, like, rig up systems of pulleys and levers and whatnot. And it's just like, yeah, I bet I could, like, drill into one of these beams, but I don't want to, like, you know, lose my deposit, you know? <laughs> so, but, I mean, you, you do have to deal with their weight and the fact that they don't move and they don't lubricate themselves. And it's like, really, the only reactions that you're going to get from them are going to be in your mind. I mean, yeah, there's a trade-off. Obviously, you know, sex with an organic is going to be, I mean, with the right person, it's going to be a bit more fulfilling, but it's like there's part of a package going on. Is that person really into you, or are they just having sex just to have sex? And with me, a large part of the sexual experiences that I have with Shichan and Lenka is knowing that they're into me. Again, from my own mind, but there's no doubt. And are you exclusive among the three of you, or does Lenka go outside the relationship? <laughs> um, like, Lenka, for the most part, is just devoted to the two of us. Uh, she does want a doll of her own. We basically stick to each other. I mean, I don't fool around with other dolls outside of our flat. A lot of the flirting that Shichan does with other dolls, it's nothing serious. I mean, to what degree are they real? Hmm. I mean, my dolls are real to me. Because, again, I define real as being anything that you can perceive with any of your senses. But I also understand that they're not living beings. They are constructs. They're hollow, synthetic, rubber bodies that I've created personalities and likes and dislikes and et cetera, et cetera, for. If you take the fact that they're like empty silicone sculptures with likes, dislikes, personalities, et cetera, and combine those two, then they become basically a real person. An idolater that I'm friends with said one of the most perfect phrases that I use to this day in pretty much any conversation I have, dolls reflect the love that you give them. And I think that is entirely true. You're in love with them for their consistency and what they offer, their, their bodies, their love, their minds. And they're in love with you because you've given them minds. It's the wardrobe proper. As you can see, 99% of the clothing is black. Go figure. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we've got a pair of boots here that I got for Shidore. Oh no. Oh boy. We got a boots. Yeah, a pair of boots that I got for her like a couple of Halloweens ago. They're like PVC with straps on them. I think actually they're closer to pleather, which is great. Does your dad know about all this stuff? Like, what, what's he doing? Yes, my father does know about my idolater proclivities. The thing is, he does not like it at all. At all. I remember distinctly the very first time I had brought him round to the flat that Shidore and I got back in 2001. Gave him the penny tour. It's like, yeah, it's kitchen, that's the living room, that's the window, blah, blah, blah. And here's the bedroom. And Shichan was under the covers in bed. Dad did a 180 right out of there as soon as he saw her. He has gone on record as thinking of uh, the whole concept of dolls as disgusting. He will not talk about it. He will not talk about the details of why he doesn't like it. Any attempts to have a discussion with him about robosexuality or being an idolater has been shut down every single time. I used to like bring things up to him, even in comical ways, saying it's like, well, I'm going to be doing a photo shoot with Shichan and whatnot. And he's like, oh, I don't want to hear about that sort of thing. And one time I responded half-jokingly, well, that's really no way to talk about your daughter-in-law. He didn't think it was funny at all. What did your mom make of it? When my mom passed away in 2009, 
Mom was actually surprisingly tolerant. I mean, she ultimately did say that she would rather have me be with an organic woman, but if this is what makes you happy, then go for it. There was one time when her mother, Grandma, came to town from down south. She saw Shichan under the covers. And um, the next time Grandma was up, Mom was telling me on the phone, and she's like, oh, yeah, Grandma's coming up, blah, 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 and we want to stop by your new apartment. And she had added, could you make sure that your friend is wearing clothes? So I was like, we're fine, you know? Shichan wasn't naked or anything, you know, but still, I mean, she was wearing bed clothes. So, I mean, like, when Grandma came over the second time, Shichan was seated on the floor right next to this DVD rack, wearing, like, a blouse and a skirt and, like, some stockings and whatever. Very respectable. I didn't get into the details of, oh, yeah, she's my wife. You know, I was just like, yeah, this is, this is my doll. What have your past relationship with organic women been like? Considering my past relationships with organic women, for one, I... Yeah, the relationships, but there were affairs. I was always the bloke on the side, and I just never had the wherewithal to, like, say, right, you and I seem to be having such a great time together. Do you still want to stay with your boyfriend and not make me the boyfriend? I just never, that, it's not as if that didn't occur to me. It's, it's not as if I didn't want to ask. I just didn't have the courage to do so. I've never really been the sort of person to, like, force myself onto people. Because I've had that happen on more than one occasion with my father. My father would always, like, try to press me into doing stuff that I didn't want to do. Like what? Well, he had at one point caught me wearing nail polish. He's never liked anything that's out of the mainstream. He's never liked gay people, which, of course, would be out of the mainstream for him. And so he sees his son wearing nail polish thinking he's gay. I'm not. But I just, you know, I like wearing nail polish. I don't wear enough of it, actually. And he's thinking, well, something's happening to my son that I don't like, so I'm going to enroll him in karate classes. Mm -hmm. I'm like, what? He didn't ask me at all. He just signed me up for these things. After the first or second class, I just stopped going. Basically, I just give them the check and just you know, go to the Hardee's next door and just like sit there for like two hours or whatever. And then my dad would pick me up and go, oh, how are the classes? Oh, yeah, they were great. They were great. But it was just the whole idea that like, he wasn't asking. It's just like, well, this is what you're going to be doing because I want you to do it. And there was like no consideration for my feelings at all or my interests. So, so how does that relate to your asking women out or you know, your mm. relationships? I didn't want to be what my father was. I didn't want to be the sort of person that like forced himself onto another person. I didn't want to like get to a point where it's like I'm asking a last, okay, well, I want to be the boyfriend. Because that, that seemed like me saying, well, this is how it's going to be. And I didn't want that to be ever a factor. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, to be fair, I think, I think stating your desires and forcing people is two separate things, right? It is. It is. I mean, and obviously there's a way you could say it or express your desire to, like, make it seem like, hey, have you considered this? But I, I guess it's, like, too much of one side and not enough of another. And I just, maybe I just never learned that point where it's just like, you know, this is what I would like, you know? It's, especially when there's also the fear of rejection. They always say it's like, you know, if you're dating, you know, you get rejected. You just pick yourself up and move on. For me, it just takes time because I'm thinking, okay, she's rejected me. Why? Why has she rejected me? I, I think some people might hear you say this and think that, well, if it wasn't for this fear of rejection, then he would just have like... An organic or, Organic relationships, you know? Yeah. Is that true or like... What do you think? I wouldn't say it's entirely false. If I had had a lass that said, yeah, Dave Cat, you know, you and I should go out, and then it turned out to be fantastic from that point onward, 
or if I wasn't afraid of rejection where it wasn't fantastic and I could get back up on the dating horse and try again, yeah, that's probably where I would be. I don't think I would have an interest in dolls or gynoids or whatever, but I, I think I would be a, a markedly different person. I don't know if I'd have anything of note to say about myself. The fact that I'm fascinated with dolls and gynoids and that these two lovely creatures are in my life contribute to a large part of who I am. I mean, they're not totally who I am, but they help the rocket boost to whatever lunatic planet I'm heading for. Are you still open to dating organic women? Yeah, but, um... Not a very high priority. No. <laughs> if I do meet an organic lass that, you know, says she's interested, is she genuinely interested? And markedly within the past 10 years, people have gotten more and more cynical. People just want to be mean to people for no real reason at all, just the fact that they can. And it's just like, from that point on, I, I'm thinking to myself, why would I even want to, like, take the chance of meeting someone when it's odds-on that they're just doing this to amuse themselves? Why should I even be doing that anyway? I've got two wonderful dolls right here. 99% of one's life is going to be out of one's hands. So it's like when I come home, I have these dolls who are my partners and my lovers and whatnot. I know that they're never going to be horrible to me. But then you get people who are just like, well, Dave Cat, you say that. Most real people in real relationships don't want to have control over their partners. I say there is. I say there is not a single person on the face of the earth that's in a relationship that doesn't want to make sure that their partner is not going to be horrible to them or leave them or cheat on them or whatever. The thing is, you can't control organic beings. It's A, impossible, B, wrong. But if you have a synthetic partner, then it's not immoral. But, of course, the way I have my relationships is that, you know, they're more in charge than I am. Is there any desire in yourself to become artificial? <sighs> a little. This meat body is 43 years old. My hair's not long enough, and my eyes are probably starting to go, and my guts are a mess. <laughs> if I could actually replace my body for a prosthetic one or a synthetic one, I, I would be on board with it. I am a cynic in the fact that society is just getting a little bit worse each day. But <laughs> I think it was George Carlin who once said, if you scratch the surface of a cynic underneath, you'll find a disappointed idealist. So I would like to be around to be able to see Shidore Mark 10, where like, you know, we're driving in our, our hover fiat to like see a 3D production of whatever Wes Anderson film is out at the time. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Do you think about the fact that they're going to outlive you? Probably. What Shidore and I were going to do when I passed away is that um, we we're basically going to both be cremated. We're going to take the ashes and like kind of sift them into a single container so that the container would contain both of our ashes. And then we take half of the ashes and spread them over Japan and the other half and spread them over England. And then at some point I realized, you know what? For one, I don't think you can really cremate silicone. I don't think that's possible. Two, if they'll even let you do it. Well, that's a doll. I don't think we could really cremate a doll. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Three, you're going to rent a helicopter just to fly over England and just drop some dirt on them? You know, that's not really practical. So, basically, the new plan <laughs> is that I'm going to be cremated. There are specific types of kimonos for mourning and funerals. 
They're called Mofuku. They're all black. She's going to be wearing that. My ashes are going to be put in a container, and her head is hollow. I'm going to put the ashes in her head. Someone's going to put, I mean, she's going to be basically wearing the Mofuku seated somewhere with my ashes in her head. And the reason for my ashes being in her head is that she's always on my mind when I'm alive, so I'll always be on hers after I'm no longer alive. And she'll have a plaque. How beautiful it is to love something that death can touch. That's it for Love and Radio. This episode featured the voice of Dave Cat, as well as Izzy Sooty, who played Sidore, and Joanna Neary, who played Elena. It was produced by Brendan Baker, Stephen Jackson, and Jesse Carrier. For playlists of all the music you hear, check us out at loveandradio.org. Love and Radio is an independent project and a labor of love and radio, and made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Extra special thanks to Ali Mothra Perry, Andrew Simmons, Casey Anderson, Chakrit Suchichan, Dan Palmino, Jacqueline Leake, Jason V, Sam Huffman, Sandra Schroeder, William Spears, and Edging Candy Tuft. I'm Nicholas Sardine Punch Punch Vanderkolk. Thanks for listening. I'm a better kisser than you. You are a good kisser, though. Every time we have the showing off now. <laughs> yeah, go on, you tell him. I've got um, I've got three tongues, um, and Dave Cat can change them whenever he likes, really. Yeah, for different kissing. It's perfect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. <laughs>